All right. Have some heartburn. Sorry if you forgive me for that. That was powerful, wasn't it? And let me tell you something. If you don't know Jesus, he loves you. The Bible says he loves you so much that he died for you. And he came to give you life. Not just life, but eternal life and abundant life. And if you felt the presence of God today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you, do it today. You will not regret it. For those of you who have given your life to Christ, do you agree with me? Can you say amen? Because God is good and all the time. I want to invite you to find your way to John chapter 6. And uh, again, what a powerful, this morning as they, were, as they were leading worship, I was just thinking, you know, we spent the last couple weeks uh, challenging you to pray Matthew 9, 38, that God would send more labors into the harvest. And then we have up here on the stage this morning, you know, 19 and 20-year-olds who have answered that call to say, I'll go. I'll do whatever God has asked me to do. I'll I'll surrender my life. What a powerful... Are you excited about that? Are you excited about that? That young people are still giving their life to Christ, still surrendering to do whatever God has called them to do, and that that was encouraging uh, today. Um, I want to just... If you don't know who I am, I don't always cry, but I am right now, so... Uh, I, I just feel like God's presence is here. And when you see people in Scripture entering the presence of God, it always leads to this reverent awe of who God is. And it always leads to a personal reflection of how bad we are. And as I am reminded this morning of the goodness of God, I I just can't help but be overwhelmed. I'm not going to get the words right, but there was a line in that one of those songs that just said, I can't go back to the beginning, and I I don't know what tomorrow holds, but what does God promise today? His presence. He is with us. And so, could, could I just pray this morning for us? Would you pray with me? God, we are reminded today of your goodness. We're reminded today of your grace and your mercy and your love and your forgiveness, your restoration, reconciliation. Lord, that the grace of God has come down to man through the person of Jesus. And Lord, I pray as we open up your word that you would speak into our hearts. Lord, that you would lead us to one of two decisions this morning. Maybe it's salvation, and maybe it's just a resurrender. That, Lord, we will do what you've asked us to do. We will go where you ask us to go. We will speak the words you've asked us to speak. And, Lord, we just ask as we uh, spend the next few minutes learning from you, that you would challenge us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are starting a new series today entitled, as you can see on the screen or on the stage behind me, I Am 
Jesus. And as we think about these, these words, the, we're going to kind of go through the book of John. And the book of John, John gives us seven miracles of Christ. But he also, in the book of John, gives us seven statements of Christ, known as, if you've studied much of the Scriptures, the I am statements of Christ. There's seven of them. Now, if you're like me, you may have already noticed that there are eight statements on the wall behind me, so maybe you can figure out, not this morning, I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying, but figure out which one doesn't actually belong, all right? Just a teaser for you there. But these seven I am statements of Christ, we're going to walk through these the next seven weeks. Can you believe that Easter is just seven weeks away? How many are hoping it's, we get snow this Easter? <laughs> you know, it's, it's snowed here a few times on Easter over the last 20 years or so. Nobody's wanting snow on Easter? Nobody? Okay, I don't either. I was just testing your resolve this morning. I'm, I, I, remember, I remember it snowed on Easter one year because uh, my, my son at the time was about eight years old, if I remember right. As was normal, he was sleeping not in his room but on a bean bag in the living room with barely any clothes on. How many of your kids kind of resemble that, all right? And so I thought, he wouldn't get up for church, you know, it's Sunday morning, he's sleeping over there. And I'm like, I know what will get him up, a snowball on his bare skin. That'll be awesome. What I had envisioned in my mind didn't quite happen like, I don't even know why I'm telling you that. That's not in my notes at all. But uh, Blake, are you still bitter about it a little bit? All right, he got over it. Praise the Lord. But uh, this statement, I want you to wrestle with it on the screen. It says this, I am changes who I am. Okay, look at that for a moment. I am changes who I am. That, some of you may be like, I don't know, that doesn't make any sense. And maybe in of itself, just as a statement, it doesn't. But if you notice on the screen here that the first time it says I am is all capitalized. And so it's not referencing me, but it's referencing who? It's refer representing Jesus, the Lord. And so maybe we could say it simply, Jesus changes who I am. Or here's another, maybe a little longer way of saying that would I maybe define it a little more. Who Jesus is changes who I am. What Jesus does changes what I am to do. And so as we walk through these seven statements, we're going to realize these are seven declarative statements that Jesus makes about himself. And every one of these seven statements start with the first two words, I, say it with me, am. I am. And so in the Gospel of John, John kind of gives us this quick rundown of these miracles. And in, in the last two verses in the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John gives us the purpose in which he wrote the book. And he only gives us seven miracles of God. He gives us seven I am statements of God, seven declarations Jesus makes of himself. And then he finishes the book of John by giving us the reason he wrote the book. 
Maybe we could call that a conclusion, right? And here's what he says. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. It's not an exhaustive list of the miracles of Christ. It's seven miracles, seven statements. Verse 31, but these are written. So here is why I'm, this is why I've written to you. This is important. This is what you need to know. They were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have life in his name. And you'll see this, th- this theme all throughout the Gospel of John. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And that if you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life. And so as we walk through these seven statements, we we challenge you this year to pray Philippians 1, verse 9, and verse 14. We challenge you to set your phone alarm for 109. And we're praying for these three things, that we as followers of Jesus, we would love God more. We would know God more. And I believe that if we make that our aim for the year as individuals, as a church, if we will pursue to love and know God more... The byproduct is the third statement we are praying, that we would share God more. And so as we get a deeper understanding, what what is the statement we start out with? I am changes who I am. And oh, if we could get a greater understanding, a greater knowledge, a greater love for who Jesus is, it will change who we are. So Jesus, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, there's five miracles that take place before Jesus gives his first statement, before he gives his first declaration of who he is. And it seems as if the way God, uh, John has written the Gospel here, this book, that as he walks through the turning the water into the wine in chapter 2, the healing the nobleman's son in, in John chapter 4, healing of the layman in chapter 5, the chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000, then Jesus walks on water, and then you have these five miraculous signs that begin to lead people to ask the question, who is this man? And the miracles of Christ lead us to the question, it lead the people, and it led the people to the question, who is this guy? Who is this miracle worker? Well, then he begins to make the declarations and he begins to define and declare who he is. And in John chapter 8, so hopefully you're in John chapter 6, turn over a page or two depending on how big your print is in your Bible this morning. In John chapter 8, as I said, in every one of these statements, John writes for us, Jesus says and starts the statements, his declaration of who he is with I am. I am, and the one we're going to look at this morning is I am the bread of life. And what's so important about these two words? We made the statement, I am changes who I am. What, is, what are these two words mean? What are the significance? And we can see it in John chapter 8 in verse 57. Jesus in verse 56 had basically said something about that he knew Moses and Moses knew him. And so the religious people kind of push back on it. And look what they say in, in verse 57. It says, John chapter 8, verse 57. Then the Jews, or the religious people, said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? In, in other words, there's this, uh, you can kind of understand there's like this sarcasm 
There's this like disbelief. Jesus, you're only 50. There is no way that you could have seen Abraham. They're kind of mocking him with this statement, with this question. Almost as you could sense it like, you're only 50? Not even 50? Sure, Jesus. You know Abraham, right. And look what Jesus, look at the response he gives him in verse 58. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, what are the two words? Say it with me. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And I wonder if the crowd just kind of steps back. It's kind of like, you know, when they came to arrest Jesus and he spoke and everyone just kind of fell down because of the power of Jesus. And, and uh, oftentimes you can understand, what, what, did this, what do these two words mean? Jesus is saying, before Abraham was, I am. What does Jesus mean by this? And sometimes in the context of reading these, you can see what Jesus meant simply by the reaction of the people who were listening. We understand what he meant by the reaction and the response that the people give him. Look what it says here in verse number 59. So he says, before Abraham was, I am. Verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by, like he just disappears. But what is there? So Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I think the crowd steps back like, oh, he said it. And then they began to do what? What's their reaction? You can, you can talk back to me. It's okay. They're going to kill him. They pick up the stones. This doesn't mean that they're just going to, you know, like, oh, hey, how you doing? No, they want, they want to kill him. Why do you suppose this is the response they give? What do they think he means by saying, before Abraham was, I am. And they pick up the stones. What was he declaring? He was God. The punishment for blasphemy was to be stoned to death. Their reaction to his statement tells you everything you know about what he was declaring. I am God. And he never backs down from that, does he? This word, I am, the Jewish people that were listening, that began to pick up the rocks to kill him, they knew what God told Moses when he appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Remember Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14? Moses is like, you want me to do what? God says, you need to go free my people. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses, before even questions really, well, what's Pharaoh going to say? Moses is like, the people of Israel, they're not going to believe that I'm from anyone or know anyone. Who, who do I tell them sent me? What was God's response? Tell them I am has sent you. God. And so these listeners hear Jesus declare, before Abraham was, I am. This is Jesus saying, I am God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, as Revelation would say. Jesus would say in John chapter 10 that me and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John chapter 14. 
Uh, Paul wrote in Colossians, For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is God. And so when we think about these statements we're going to walk through, Jesus is saying, I am. He's declaring he's God, and then he's giving us seven attributes of God. So it's important to note. I love what R.C. Sproul said about what Jesus is saying, declaring I am, I am God. R.C. Sproul says this, he's either 110% madcap blasphemy or salvation come to man. By the way, does anyone know what madcap means? Does anybody know? Like one person in the room. One? This means crazy or reckless. And let me confess to you, I had no idea what it meant. I thought it was misspelled, okay? So I'm like, what does this word mean? Thank God for Google. I could, hey, for all of you college and students, you should think, you should be in awe of all your parents. We got through school without Google, okay? We survived. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. I have to confess. I didn't get through graduate school. Okay, let's move on. Confession is good for the soul. Let's go to John chapter 6. So in John chapter 6, it begins with uh, Jesus trying to get away from the crowds. He's trying to rest. The crowds follow him. A big crowd follows him. 5,000 men. They need to be fed. God feeds the 5,000. Great miracle of God. God. Jesus is tired, so he decides to go up in the hills and get away from the crowds. The disciples decide to get in a boat and go across where they had just come from. They end up in a storm. Jesus knows they're in a storm. Jesus walks out onto the sea, and as soon as he gets in the boat, it says they're on the other side. That would have been pretty cool. And then the next morning, all the crowd that he left wakes up and is like, Jesus didn't get in the boat. Where's Jesus? They go back over to where Jesus was, and they're like, how did you get, in? How'd you get on this side? You didn't get in the boat with the disciples. They're confused. And that's where we pick up the story. In, in verse number 26, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And Jesus is calling out the crowd here. The only reason you're pursuing me is because you want what I can give you. And what a challenge for us as followers of Christ to, to kind of check our own heart. What, what are we after? Are we after Jesus or are we after what Jesus can do for us? And he calls them out. Then verse 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal on him. And you kind of see Jesus is a little bit incognito here. He's referencing himself, but he's not saying it's him. He's like, you know, the one that God has sent. And then the next verse, verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Here's something to just point out in verse 28. Religion always leads to ask the question, what must I do? And Jesus did not come to establish religion. Jesus came to provide relationship. And here's here's like the gospel just in this weird side conversation. Look how Jesus answers them. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you, what's the next word? Believe in him who he sent. 
He's still kind of incognito here. If you'll believe in the one God sends, it's not about working. Remember when we went through the Sermon on the Mount last year? We kind of summarized your good enough is never going to be good enough. We, we talked about it again in Philippians chapter 3 last, last uh, Christmas. Your good enough is not going to be good enough. And thank God that Jesus came because his good enough was good enough, and he takes my place. Aren't you thankful for that? So if we believe, again, as you look at this, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you are saved, not of, not of what? Works. It's right here in verse 28 and 29. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Or what fa- Our fathers ate the man in the desert. As it is written, ha- he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives the true bread from heaven. From the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So we quoted Ephesians chapter 4 already. We're talking about verses 28 and 29. For by grace you are saved through faith. What's the next of it? It's a what? It's a gift of God. And what does Jesus say? Well, he just said it. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is pointing out salvation is not by works, but it's by the grace of God. It's a gift. And oh, I'm so thankful because, let's be honest, none of us are good enough. None of us are good enough. My righteousness, Paul would say, is as filthy rags. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 34. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Like if bread can give us eternal life. Again, they're still thinking about physical bread. Jesus is referencing spiritual bread. Give us this. We, we want this. We want eternal life. And then Jesus all of a sudden decides, okay, we'll see how ready you are for this. I've been telling you if you'll believe the one who God sends, you'll have everlasting life. Well, give us that bread. We want that bread. Well, we'll see how much they really want that bread. Look what he says in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He's not hiding who he is anymore, is he? I am the bread of life. He who comes to who? Me. He will never be hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. And you're going to see this phrases repeated often, even in this own text. He who comes to me, he who believes in me. Verse 36, and I say to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that, all of, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me. You see how he's changed from saying, the one who God sent, now he's saying, I'm the one who God 
sent. Verse 40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Then the Jews complained, shocker, about him because he said, I am the bread which came from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Again, they're being a little sarcastic. They're questioning. They're mocking. It goes on to say, whose father and mother we know. How is it when he says, I've come down from heaven? In verse 43, Jesus answered them and said to them, do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life, and I am the bread of life. Is there any doubt what Jesus is saying? Can you read this and not understand what Jesus is saying? Jesus is simply saying, look, I'm God. I'm the creator. I'm the all-sufficient one. I, as in John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. There was nothing created that was created that was not with God. And then in verse 14, what does it say? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was saying, I, I am I'm the Word. I'm God. I am He. I am the all-sufficient Creator. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Before anything was, I was, and I am. Is that pretty clear in this passage of Scripture? Is that pretty clear in this passage of Scripture? It's very clear. And what Jesus over and over and over again says, whoever comes to me, And believes in me will have what? Everlasting life, salvation, forgiveness of sins, restoration with God. Jesus, again, he didn't come to set up a religion, he came to provide a relationship. So, multiple times in this text, he who comes to me and he who believes in me will have everlasting life. I think it would be pretty important for us today then to define what does it mean to come to Jesus and to believe in Jesus. Coming to Jesus simply means this, making a choice to to forsake yourself and follow Jesus. That's why we say all the time we want to lead people to find and follow Jesus. Jesus, coming to the end of yourself, acknowledging what he said earlier in this text, the work, the only work that you can do to have everlasting life, just come to me. You see, religion tells us if you'll do this and do this and do this and do this and do this, maybe your good enough will be good enough. And remember what Jesus said? You're good enough will never be good enough. And that sounds harsh, but it's actually really good news because Jesus' good enough was good enough. So coming to Jesus simply means forsaking God. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I want to follow you. 
He says, come to Jesus, and then he says, believe in me, believe in Jesus. Faith is believing that Christ is who he said he was and that he will do what he's promised to do. Come, believe. Jesus is the bread of life. And he said, well, let's read it again. Verse number 35. It says, and, when G- and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never, what's the word? Hunger. And he who believes in me shall never, what? Thirst. Those two words paired together, hunger and thirst. Can you think of another time when Jesus said those words? Remember Sermon on the Mount? We talked about this last year. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst. For what? For righteousness. For they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. Well, what is Jesus saying? That I'm, I'm the bread of life, and if you come to me and you believe in me, you'll never hunger and you'll never thirst. Here, here's the reality. In Ecclesiastes, we see that God has created eternity in our hearts. That we, as humans, we, we were actually created for eternity. Death was not supposed to happen. But Adam and Eve sinned. Because Adam and Eve sinned, punishment was death. But God has created us a longing to hunger and to thirst for eternity, for righteousness, to be good, to be like God. There's this hunger, there's this thirst, there's this longing. And the only way that that hunger and thirst can be satisfied is through who? It's through Jesus. So we have this innate desire, this goal that we want to be righteous. But we're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned. And then Paul says the wages, the punishment for sin is what? It's death. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, death was passed to all of us. Their sin was passed to all of us. And we've already referenced Romans 3.10 that says there's none righteous. Oh, but don't. Again, almost all religions without fail, it's a checkbox. It's a list. If you'll do this, and if you'll do this, and if you'll do this, you might be good enough. Maybe. Maybe you'll make it. We don't know. But Jesus said, if you'll come to me and believe in me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. Because. Here's a great word. So here's, here's the big dilemma. Here's the big dilemma for all of us. We all have a longing that we can't fulfill. We all have a desire that this earth can't satisfy. And there's one person, there's one person who can satisfy our hunger and our thirst 
for righteousness. Who's that person? You can say it louder. Who's that person? Jesus. Jesus. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me and believes in me will never hunger and never thirst. I will give them eternal life. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he made him, all right, so the first he here, for he is God. For God made, who's the him here? Jesus. For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. So great news today. Your good enough is never going to be good enough. I know that doesn't sound like great news, but it's great news. Because you don't have to live up to the standard. Jesus lived the sinless, perfect life. And because he did, he became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when we come to Jesus and we place our faith in Jesus, God now sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? So Jesus declares, I am God. I'm the bread of life. If you'll come to me, if you'll believe in me, you can have everlasting life. I'm thankful that what I could not accomplish, Jesus did accomplish. Let's look at verse number 47 and 48 again. John chapter 6, verse 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So, one, one thought to finish today. Have you come to Jesus and have you placed your faith in Jesus? Because he, he will give you eternal life. If you come to Jesus, place your faith in Jesus, you can have eternal life. That is good news, isn't it? Can you say amen to that? That's good news, amen? Listen, if you don't know Jesus, my challenge for you today Come to him. Place your faith in him. You can have eternal life. If you do know Jesus, and you have come to Jesus, you have placed your faith in Jesus, can I encourage you today? Would you share Jesus? There's a lost world who doesn't know Jesus. And I'm reminded this morning, as I turn on the news, of how blessed we are to have freedom to sit here and proclaim the name of Jesus without fear. Aren't you thankful for that? And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. And I want to challenge you, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, we're going we're gonna to close the service with a song, a song of worship. But I'm, I'm going to be standing right down here if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you would like to do that today, come talk to me. 
If you don't want to walk to the front, I understand that. At the close of the service, I'm going to be in the foyer. Come talk to me. If someone invited you, talk to them. But it's very simple. Call on Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you don't know Jesus, please, don't leave this building today until you talk to somebody about it. For those of us who've given our life to Jesus, we have the greatest gift. Let's do our best to share it. Let's build our life on the promises of Christ. If we will love God more, know God more, we will share God more. God, we ask today that you would bless the closing of our service. Lord, as we end our service in worship, Lord, we ask that you would just let us respond. Lord, that may be a prayer of surrender. That may be a prayer of salvation. That may be a prayer of thanksgiving for salvation. It may be a prayer of thanksgiving for living where we live. It may be a prayer of protection over missionaries all over the world. But Lord, help us just to respond to what you've prodded in our heart today. Let's worship together.